Let me pray. Let's pray together. Our Father, we acknowledge the fact that you are here. And so, Lord, we bow and we say thank you, Lord, for choosing to let your presence be with us. We are about to listen to your word together. Father, we pray that you enable me to speak and you enable my brothers and sisters to hear that all of us together might be transformed by the power of your spirit through your living word. And so, Father, please, Lord, help us. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, to start with, I want to encourage you that as we journey through the book of Acts, now, somebody asked me, the book of Acts, why is it called Acts? I think the only thing I can think of is it is called Acts because it is action. Um, Acts of the Apostles, we're told. It is the action of the Apostles. But last week, you remember that we actually saw that it is only the acts of the apostles, the actions, the works of the apostles, because it is first and foremost the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus continues his work. Luke says, what I began in the gospel of Luke, the first volume, I am continuing about what the Lord Jesus had begun to do. And so, as we venture here, particularly in Acts chapter 2, let's think to start with less of ourselves as the starting point. The temptation is that anytime we read, because we are so quick to want to know how it applies to us, we put ourselves there right away. No, 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 put Jesus there first. And then from there, we'll begin to understand what the Spirit is calling the church today, how he's calling us to respond, what he wants us to do. So what we see in Acts is God revealing, revealing in many ways his, if you like, supreme agenda, his big plan, his ultimate purpose in all things. We see God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit at work to accomplish his purpose, his will in the world. So what is this big, big purpose? What is this supreme agenda of God in the world. It is this. God wants the whole world to see that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's it. He wants the whole world to see that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. And then he calls everyone from everywhere, across every um, nation and generation, to respond to Jesus as Lord. To respond by turning from worshipping other things, worshipping other uh, persons, and worshipping Jesus alone. So he wants the whole world, God wants the whole world to know that Jesus, the Messiah, somebody asked me whether Jesus Christ, the Christ is the surname of Jesus. It's not the surname of Jesus, it's the title of Jesus. Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, he is King And he wants the whole world to know that. Everyone should bow before him in all of life. Not only on Sundays. And that is why the Lord pours out his Holy Spirit. We'll see in a minute. He pours out his Holy Spirit so that Jesus will be seen and will be declared as Lord. 
and the nations will come and bow. Now you may recall that the Lord says something. Remember that he's been raised from the dead. He's about to ascend his throne in heaven. He's about to be taken up to heaven. So he has some really important things to tell his disciples. And he spent some considerable amount of days, at least more than a month, with them after the resurrection. And he's teaching them, and they are spending time together, and he's eating, and, you know, he's reminding them and really teaching them. He's passing things on to them because he's going to work through them. And then he tells them many of the things that he actually taught them. We are not told. Later they'll write about some of them. That's why we have the New Testament. But here we told something. Let me take you back to Acts chapter 1, 6 and 7. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? That is what they've been looking up to, looking forward to. The kingdom will be restored to Israel. Whatever the understanding was, at least they were right in looking forward to God's kingdom. Will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. For what? And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. When the Spirit fills you up, it is going to result in an incredible supernatural witnessing that Jesus Christ is Lord. So God's purpose here, he set it out. You be my witnesses. Witnesses for what? Well, he sets it out. He's going to gather all his people. He's going to gather all his people in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So he sets out to gather the people. Brothers and sisters, you know what God is, if I may use this expression, busily doing? He is gathering his people. And nothing will stop him in doing that. With all my personal needs and concerns, and the Lord cares about them, and the Lord is concerned about them, the Lord helps me through them. But occasionally, he wants me to lift up my eyes from myself. He wants us to lift up our eyes from ourselves as a church community and look at the big picture. He is gathering his people from among the nations. Beginning in Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And so please don't be preoccupied. By all means, the Lord takes interest in my personal dealings. But let me not be preoccupied with myself. He's doing something. He's gathering his people from across the ends of the earth, of all generations until Jesus returns. And so let me try to bring out at least four things, four points from this section that Christine helpfully read for us. Point number one. If the Lord is actually gathering, you will be my witnesses everywhere and they will all come in. Then, the first thing that we want to note is that the Holy Spirit is the Lord, is Lord of the harvest. The Holy Spirit is Lord of 
the harvest. Now we are told, if you look at verse 1, we are told that when the day of Pentecost arrived, and this is not just for the Pentecostal church, so that when you hear it, oh, no, no, we are. Why did he choose this day? He could have done what happened on any other day. But when the day of Pentecost arrived, there was this inbreaking of the Spirit in an unprecedented way. So what is this whole Pentecost about? Now, Pentecost is about a festival, and a Jewish festival, the festival for the people of Israel, one of them. It's actually not called Pentecost in the Old Testament. It's called the Feast of Weeks, the Festival of Weeks, where they celebrate harvest. And it is actually 50 days from the Passover. So the Lord redeemed us by the Passover. And then 50 50 days later, they come to celebrate what the Lord has given to his people. He's given us plenty food, harvest. And on that day, he commands them that, because the Lord is the, uh, the Lord of the harvest, you are to be generous to others. You bring the first fruits into the Lord's house. And so the Feast of Weeks, which in the New Testament will be called Pentecost, Penta means five. And so the 50th, 50 days after the Passover, 50 days after the Lord has redeemed us, he gives us harvests. So let me, let me, let me actually point this out in Deuteronomy. 16, 9 to 12. You don't have to tend to it. Let me just read. So the Lord says to them, count of seven weeks from the time you begin to pick the sickle, um, the sickle to the standing grain. Then celebrate the festival of weeks, Pentecost, to the Lord your God by giving a free will offering in proportion to the blessing the Lord your God has given you. And rejoice before the Lord your God at the place he will choose as a dwelling for his name. You, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, the Levites in your towns, and the foreigners, the fatherless, and the widows living among you. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt. And follow carefully these decrees. So Israel is celebrating in the Old Testament this feast. The Lord, our Redeemer, is the Lord who gives the harvest. He has given us. The Lord who looks after his people and sustains them and so on and so forth. And now when you come into the New Testament, God chooses this day. The Lord chooses the festival of the Feast of Weeks, Pentecost, to remind his people that the Lord, their Redeemer, is still the Lord of the harvest. And what was going on in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, the harvest is more than the food he gives us. Praise the Lord, he gives us food. Now the harvest is the gathering of his people. He is harvesting the field of the nations into his kingdom to be gathered with his people, his church. And his church celebrate. That's why we celebrate anytime somebody gets converted. And then we are reminded that we haven't done it. The Holy Spirit is... Lord of the harvest. The harvest is plentiful. The laborers are few. Pray who? Pray to the Lord of the harvest, he says. And so it is the Lord of the harvest, God the Holy Spirit, who actually comes upon the Lord's people in accordance with the Lord's will so that 
Through their testimony, the nations are gathered to God. And so, Pentecost is ultimately, ultimately about the gathering of the harvest of God from the whole wide world through the witnessing about Jesus Christ, the risen Lord. However we conceive of Pentecost, and we know that various denominations have all kinds of stands, great and great and great. Let's not take our eyes off this. Pentecost is standing for God our Father, executing his will through his Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, through his church. What a privilege in harvesting, in harvesting his people. So on this day, the people are gathered in Jerusalem. They are there for the, the, the festival. They're coming to celebrate. Everything is quiet. It's around 9 a.m. And people from everywhere. It's very interesting that Luke pays attention to the details of the nation. Now, I'm not going to read it from verse 8. You can look at it. But when you take that ancient map, and then you compare it to our map today. You see what the Holy Spirit had been doing even then. <laughs> you see, when you take the map from the nations that have been um, uh, mentioned, if you go east, if you decide to press on towards the east, what is going to happen is that from there you'll be moving in the direction of India and China. When you look at, when you go home, just look at the map again. Look at, if you have a Bible, a study Bible with a map, look at it and then Google today's map, the nation. If you press on to the east, you're moving towards India, China, Mongolia is up there to the north of China and so on and so forth. And then if you push forward um, to the west, you realize that you are moving around Poland, present day Poland. And then you go further and you hit Rome. And then if you decide to push further, you're going to hit France and you're going to hit Britain, the UK. The central north of the map, actually, present day, it is Iran, Iraq, that area, and then there is Turkey, this Middle Eastern places. And if you press upwards a little bit, you will hit Kazakhstan, and then you hit Russia. And then, praise the Lord, to the south is the continent of Africa. People from Egypt and Libya, the areas belonging to Cyrene, which is present-day Libya, you push towards the west a little bit, and that is Cyrene. And there is Egypt, and that Egypt, the Roman world, you come south a little bit, and you are hitting present-day Sudan. If you should push it, you will hit the area that they call Ethiopia, which is not just the country Ethiopia. It's a particular region around Egypt and south of it and down, and if trade was happening along the Nile, and trade was happening along the Nile, do you know where the Nile starts from? The Nile starts from Uganda, and then it goes all the way to Egypt. Are you not amazed at what the Holy Spirit was doing even then? All nations under heaven guarded. All the nations through which and into which God will cause the world to be evangelized is represented here on Pentecost. And actually, time will not permit us to realize that here, with the various languages and people gathered, he is also reminding us of Genesis 11. But let's not go there to make it too long and too complicated. The Tower of Babel, when he confuses their language and they scatter. 
Now the same language, he gathers them by his spirit. Different language, but they are hearing the same thing. We will see in a minute. At first, they couldn't understand each other. Now by the gospel language, they can understand each other. The Lord chooses Pentecost to remind that he will gather his people in Christ by the Holy Spirit. And every church needs to understand that. First and foremost, the Holy Spirit is the Lord of the harvest. Not our programs, not our strategies, nothing of ours. Not good quality music. Thank God for good quality music. But that's not it. God, the Holy Spirit, doing his work. We, his instruments. The second point is this. The Holy Spirit is the harvester. Now, it sounds like the first one. The Holy Spirit is Lord of the harvest. The Holy Spirit is the harvester. So one would hear Lord of the harvest as though he's overseeing it. Uh, he sits there. You harvest there. You harvest. He does that. But he is also the harvester in that he's actively involved in it. He's in the details. Oh, look back at verse 2. Verse 2. Suddenly, God's spirit is poured out. The Lord pours out his spirits, not forced by any human hand. They were gathered in one place. They didn't know the timing of things. They didn't know what was going to happen. The Lord didn't explain to them that tongues of fire, what looks like tongues of fire will be in, on each person's head and there will be violent wind into the house and all these things are going. They are just obeying and gathering and continuing and guess what? Suddenly, untimely, if you put it that way, the Holy Spirit is poured out. The Spirit is poured out. This, this, if you like, is a unique inauguration of the church. It's like this is where the, the, the floodgate is opened, and that floodgate is going to sweep across the generations. It's from that place. What happened there? And what does the Spirit do? The Spirit causes two things to happen. He causes a speaking and a hearing. Two things. A speaking and a hearing takes place. You would, you would have thought that something spectacular should happen. But this is what happened. It, it was spectacular. I'm sure if you imagine it, it was actually quite scary. But Luke wants us to focus here. The Holy Spirit wants us to focus. There was a speaking and then there was a hearing. Look at verse 4. Filled with the Holy Spirit, they began to speak in other languages. As the Spirit enabled them. Remember, all these people were Galileans. They were from Galilee primarily. And if you knew Galileans, their accent would be like people from Osofamia's hometown, Boyem. As soon as they begin to speak English, you know you are from Boyem, you are not from Accra. <laughs> their accent betrays them. You struggle to understand exactly what they are saying. Boyamites. That's where they come from. And so Galileans, everybody know. You remember Peter when he was talking to that girl by the fire when Jesus was arrested. The girl listened to him. You are Galilean. You are from Galilee. You know that man. You've been with that man of Galilee. I swear to God, I don't know him. So the Holy Spirit gave them utterance and they are beginning to speak other languages. Verse 6. A crowd came together in bewilderment, surprised 
Because each one heard, each one heard their own language being spoken. There's something going on here. Verse 7. Utterly amazed, they asked, Aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Verse 8. Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Verse 11, we hear them declaring, speaking the wonders of God in our own tongues, in our own languages. The Spirit is indeed empowering them to be witnesses of the mighty works of God. I don't know what, what it actually looked like. But whatever they were saying, the people from different nations under heaven would hear, and I can hear, I can hear Akan. If it were here, I can hear Ga. I can hear Eve. I can hear French. But all these people are from Boyam. And none of them has traveled to Accra. In fact, a lot of them are not even educated. The Spirit has given them utterance. And so when the Spirit of God is poured out, there is an incredible declaration and a hearing of the mighty works of God. The question we need to ask is what mighty works of God are they declaring? What mighty works of God? Until now we have not been told. Now we're going to see miracles and things happening later. But what mighty works of God at this point are you talking about? What mighty works can be mightier than any mighty work that God has done? You don't see it here until you read the whole of chapter 2. And so, though that is not our focus, this session is, let me take you to verse 22. Now, Peter begins to preach to explain what has happened. That's what he's doing. He explained what has happened to the church. He says, uh, to the people, sorry. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Listen to the first expression, Jesus of Nazareth. What is the mighty works of God that he's going to talk about? It is Jesus. He's going to talk about Jesus. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. And then he begins to explain the mighty works of God about this Jesus of Nazareth. What is this mighty works of God? Again, let me take you there, verse 23. Um, he says, this is the first mighty work of God in this Jesus. He was crucified. The cross, verse 23. This man was handed over by, um, to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. My friends, listen, please. There is no mightier work of God than the cross. But there is more. And then he said that the mighty works of God that they were hearing them talk about is Jesus, what about him? His cross, and the second is his resurrection. He said, verse, let me read again, chapter 2, 31 to 33. 
verse 32. God raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. The mighty works of God that the world cannot understand. The biggest stumbling block for anybody at all coming to the Lord. It's not so much that there is the existence of God. Everybody believes it. Well, most people believe it. Religions believe it and so on and so forth. It is this Jesus. He, his death and his resurrection is the, might, is the mightiest of all the mighty works of God, if you like. That is what they were declaring. How do I know? That is what Peter is explaining to them. This is the mighty work of God they were hearing in their own language and getting confused. They tell God's mighty works in Jesus as Lord and King. The cross and the resurrection. And Peter, we are told, the portion that I read right now, 32 and 33, this is the proof that Jesus is Lord. He has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and he has poured God the Holy Spirit on the church. He has to be Lord to be able to do that. And so you notice that across Acts, they are going to proclaim the cross. They are going to proclaim the resurrection. They are going to proclaim that Jesus is Lord and that is going to get them into trouble. The mighty works of God. If you're not a Christian here, you're welcome. But let me say this to you. And I don't mean if you don't go to church or you're not religious or you believe in the existence of God. If Jesus Christ is not your Lord, you don't live your life under him as Savior and your King. I want you to understand that what we are reading here, this true story event that we are reading here in the book of Acts is for you. It is reminding you that Jesus Christ, the man who came from Nazareth, is indeed God's King. Now you are invited to worship him, to bow to him, to serve him, to give all your life to him, and to do his will. Now. Otherwise, in the future, you'll be forced to do it in hell. And he declares to us because he, he wants you to avoid that. And you can avoid that in him by faith in him. Jesus Christ is Lord. He is the mighty works of God. Number three. Look at the response. Number three is responses to the work of the Holy Spirit. The mighty works of God. Yeah, responses. On the one hand, there is amazement and perplexity. I don't know what perplexity means. I know I have an idea what it means. But I'm sure you know what it means. When you are perplexed by something, it's more like you're confused. You're not actually sure exactly what is happening. You don't even know what to say. You watch in amazement, in wonder. What does this mean, they ask? Verse 12 and verse 13. I want to encourage you, again, if you're not a Christian, I encourage you to bring these questions to God himself, to the Bible. Anytime you encounter something about Jesus and it's confusing and you disagree with it and it unsettles you, don't run away from it. Ask, what does it mean? And come to the Bible. The Bible will tell you what it means. In the fellowship of believers, you'll be helped to know what it means. 
Because all that God wants you to know about Jesus so that you are saved and you are changed and you live under Jesus and you live for all eternity is revealed to us in the Bible. And so ask the question, what does it mean? And But the others is mockery. Other people is mockery. And hear this, brothers and sisters. Let's not kid ourselves. We are all crying out that God, the Holy Spirit, will move in some incredible way. And he does that from time to time. Do not expect that everybody in the streets of Accra will jump and be hailing. Oh, the Holy Spirit has descended. Jesus Christ is Lord. Some are actually going to make mockery of it. Anytime God has moved in some incredible ways, some people, in an attempt to resist, will actually try to trivialize it by making mockery of God's people. They are drunk. 9 a.m. and they are drunk. They are saying, these people are such alcoholics. And again, if you're not a Christian, even if you're a Christian, whether you're here or online, this is my appeal to you. If you make mockery of the gospel, if you make mockery, you continue persisting in making mockery of Jesus, making mockery of the church, you are actually forfeiting the way of salvation, the way of rescue. We have no choice whether we believe it or not that one day Jesus Christ will come to judge the living and the dead. And others will spend eternity with him in life. Others, sadly, will spend eternity in hell. That will happen. But he doesn't want any of us to go into hell. So he has made these things plain. Don't make mockery of it. If you mock it, you are mocking the source of your very own life. You will die in your sin. Repent, as Peter will tell them later. And believe. So let me finish off. What should we do as believers here and now in the light of this part of Acts 2? There is a lot more that can be said. But don't worry about that. Right now, as you sit here, what might God, the Holy Spirit, be drawing our attention to? When I was actually um, preparing, <laughs> I kept uh, disturbing Uncle Godfrey at home, just telling, gifted, telling them what I have seen. It's amazing what is going on here. And there is so much. And I kept writing and typing and looking here and looking there, and I was overwhelmed. And then the question came, Lord, what do you want your church? What exactly do you want your church to hear from here? This water hose that I'm trying to drink from. How do we turn the whole thing into a pipe so that it is drinkable? We can put our cup there and drink some for a moment. This is a true way of saying you take a deep breath and then you wait as you drink from this. What does the Holy Spirit actually want us to hear? And this, I believe, are things that we need to really reflect upon and actually do. And I had this from Uncle Godfrey's paper. He had presented a paper, um, if you know, about the Lausanne Congress on World Evangelization. It used to be called the Lausanne Movement. And then there was this session where they talked about the Holy Spirit and world evangelization, the Holy Spirit and evangelism across the world. And there is so much, but let me limit myself to 
the three points he raises, and I added a fourth one, but the three points he raises. Number one, amongst all the other things that the Lord might draw attention to in the course of the week, over here as we are gathered, we need a common thirst as a church for the Spirit's fullness. They were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to declare the mighty works of God in languages that they have never known, but others could hear and understand exactly what they were saying, and that was shocking. We, as a church unit, we need this common thirst for the fullness of the Spirit that we may fully bring us under the Lordship. When we talk about the Spirit filling us, do you know what we are pointing at? The Spirit is more like water, even though he's being symbolized. Like, it's not like wind, even though he's being symbolized. It's more than that. But the Lord, in his own mercies, at times he would appear in various forms. When the Spirit fills us, it means that he takes, he takes more, of, more of us. When you say, Holy Spirit, fill me, you are saying, Holy Spirit, take more of me. My mind, my heart, my hands, every aspect of me be in complete control. Everything being brought under the lordship of Jesus. That is spirit infilling. And that is why the most spiritual people are incredibly godly people. You see this fruit of the spirit taking over every aspect of their lives. And sometimes you are chatting to them and you feel so unholy. Even though you are also a believer. Taking all of us. Number two. We need a common faith in our Lord Jesus Christ and in his word. What, what is he trying to get at? A common faith in our Lord Jesus Christ and his word. He says, and I'll refer to John, I wouldn't read it. He who, she who believes in me, out of their belly shall flow rivers of living water. And he was talking about the spirit. He was talking about the rivers of living water that will flow to others and give them life. He was talking about the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ that the spirit will quicken and all other things that go with it to others. Others will find life. And so we've got to trust together as a church. Have faith in this Jesus who poured out his spirit, the spirit he received from the Father onto the church. Number three. Particularly as we have put forward evangelism as something we want to emphasize and press on. We need as a church to cry out together a common heart cry for the Lord to perfectly overcome our weaknesses. My friends, when the Spirit fills us, clothes us, when the Spirit moves in this, uh, I was reading stories about Moody, Moody in Chicago years ago. And I was reading about other people's testimonies. About how the Holy Spirit moved in particular ways and enabled them to declare the same word. And the same word was being heard differently. As the word of God it is. And so we need the Lord to help us overcome our weakness. If you are terrified about evangelism. The good news is that it is a natural response. The good news again is that 
God doesn't want you to be terrified. And the good news is that he provides us the outpouring, the infilling of the Holy Spirit to help us overcome these weaknesses. The fear of man. You know, there are some people, when you are approaching them, you are so terrified about mentioning anything Jesus. You look at their personalities, you look at where they are coming from, and you feel you might lose face if you talk about the Lord Jesus. Peter would have identified with you perfectly. For him, it wasn't even a governess. It was a servant girl. Terrified him. And when the Spirit had clothed them, the Spirit had done this work, this same Peter stands up. You know where? In the courtyard of Jerusalem. I can't imagine. Maybe he stood on a building. And then he said, people of Jerusalem, listen to me. And then he opens up the Old Testament. So we must cry, our Holy Spirit, help us overcome our weaknesses. And not only in proclamation, in every aspect of our lives, really. Every aspect of our lives, especially in evangelism in this particular context, but every aspect of our lives by the power of the Holy Spirit and forth. Friends, fix your gaze on me for a moment. Look at me for a moment as I finish off. Look at me for a moment. I want to say to us that we should together as one, not just individually. Yes, individually. Together as one, we should all sit under the sovereignty of the Holy Spirit and seek to discern what he is doing. Not what we are doing so that he comes and confirms. Come and do what we are doing. Spirit divine, this is our plan. God, this is our agenda. We have this plan. We're doing this. We're doing this in the course of the week. Come and bless it. You know when the Spirit came, suddenly he appeared. Nobody gives him time. Nobody shows him the boundary. He does what he needs to do in accordance with the Father's will, in the Son, in his power. And so we as a church should humbly, part of our prayer is constantly asking the question, Lord, what are you doing here? Make us a part of it. Make us a part of it. Sometimes this is how it may look like. I don't know how it will look like. But it may look like this. He may come suddenly. He has done some across history. He may come suddenly. Crazy things might happen and people might proclaim and we might see conversions and <laughs> in ways. We might have too many people in line for baptism, not only here in, in, in our church, but maybe across the city. We don't know. And sometimes so he might move gradually. You can't really tell. There are times that he may cause 3,000 to be saved. And there are other times it might be just with an Ethiopian eunuch, one-on-one. -on -one. And then there is a conversion. The Spirit, sovereign God, the Holy Spirit, fulfilling the Father's will in and through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, we humbly are called to ask, Lord, what is it that you're doing? What is it that you're doing? Sometimes it may mean that we uh, let down some of the, the th okay, let's not go there. He is Lord and you move according to his purpose. And on that note, I think it is important that I just pray. I shouldn't say more than that. I think I have communicated in my conscience 
what the Lord wants us to hear for now. All the other things he will show us as we look into the scripture and look into this point. So let me pray. Lord, we ask that we may be filled and clothed with your Holy Spirit, that we may live and proclaim in obedience Jesus as Lord, that we may cause your people, the people that you are harvesting, gathering in our city, in the nations, to hear the mighty works of God in and through our Lord Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.